0: Hey everyone, if you don't know me, my name's Amanda, and we've been doing um, a series on Sunday nights through letters that Paul wrote. And I have a disclaimer from the very outset of tonight. See, generally, when I've um, afforded the privilege i guess it is to share up here i like to share from experiences that i've had or times where i've proved god and his word to be true and i'm coming from a place of victory and have a look at this and now you give it a shot cuz i can testify to this and as i'm reading through the book of second timothy tonight I need to preach to me. So <laughs> I, I'm not coming from a place of I've mastered anything. I'm coming from a place of it's challenging me. So would you give me the grace to tell you what the Bible says and then give me the grace to go on a journey with you. I've got two hors and three challenges for you. And all will make sense in a little while. If we go to the first slide, thanks Jack. Tonight we're talking from Second Timothy and this is Paul's famous last words. It's possibly the last thing he wrote before he was martyred, possibly beheaded. He was a Roman citizen. He was in prison in Rome so he couldn't be crucified like Peter. They had to chop his head off more than, more than likely. So he's in this place of imprisonment. And he's ro- he's already written to Timothy. We heard that last week. All these people were being naughty in Ephesus, and he said to this young fellow, Timothy, who he was sort of discipling, you know, go and sort those fellas out. So, what would Paul's famous last words be, this mighty man of God? About well, we don't know how long it's been since Second Timothy and First Timothy, but we do know his circumstances have changed for the worst. It's not looking good. His days are limited. I'll give you a hint. At the very, very end, he says, bring me my coat before winter so I don't freeze to death. And bring me some scrolls and personal things. So what would be so important that it's more important than survival? What would he say? Well, there's two things that he will say. He says, one is an encouragement to, to Timothy, to his protege, to say, fan into flame, come on, you've got a calling, you can do it, you can make it, let's go. The other is those guys in Ephesus were not listening <laughs> and you've got to sort them out. It is more important to discipline those guys before you bring me my coat so I can survive. This is an ouchie chapter and I'm preaching to me. So there's two hors which is not hors d'oeuvres, it's odor so if you're online type in now if you go to the next slide you can do the simpsons do or you can say odor so if you while well we're waiting for that to there it is the you know the simpsons like do so i would like you to turn to the person on your left and say odor or do whatever you prefer type it in the chat and then do it to the person on your right you know why we're doing this? Because I think we read the Bible, and especially when we've done a teaching series like we've done, and we fill our head with so many facts that we don't live it out. You know what I mean? So there are two or dirt moments that are so basic and fundamental that I don't think we're living them out. So let's go to the first one. Thanks, Jack. Next slide. The very first thing is Paul had a Timothy and Timothy had a Paul. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Let's cut it right back to basics. You know, we say we're an Acts 2 church. We say one of our cultural distinctives is discipleship. Who are you discipling? And by that, I don't mean who phones you up if they've got a question once in a blue moon. Who are you meeting with once every month to check on how they're going in the faith? And who are you accountable to? Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? I would encourage you to take notes tonight because I'm going to give you Paul and Timothy um, instructions to talk about based on this book. And if you don't have a phone or you don't have a pen, that's okay. It's online. You can catch it later. Who is a Paul? Well, Paul addressed himself at the start of this, that he was chosen. He's told others about faith. Paul's someone... Who's a bit more advanced in the faith than you are? Who is your Paul? Who is your person? We've all got friends, but when you go through stuff, like discombobulation stuff, when you go through stuff, you've got some Christian friends who'll speak fear and say, oh, if that was me, I'd I'd be a bit scared. You've got some Christian friends who'll speak flesh, who'll say things like, you know, here's some practical ideas. Here's some people I can put you in contact with. But you need a Paul who can speak faith and say, come on, let's do this. I'll tell you who a Paul isn't. So why? what Paul was really good at was bringing people along the journey with him, right? So in Acts, we're in Acts 2 church. The Holy Spirit came and birthed the church in Acts 2. And then what happened was the church started to grow. This fellow, Stephen, started to preach a sermon and the authorities didn't like it. So what they do? They started throwing stones at him till they killed him. After that, people got scared. There was a persecution, so they went everywhere. So what did Paul do? Come on, Barnabas. Come on, Silas. Come on, Timothy. He grabbed these people and he sent them on journeys to those Christians out there and those ones out there and those ones out there, much like what our guys are doing tomorrow. Sort of sounds like an axe church, don't we? So, so you know... Timothy was one of these guys. Paul guided him along his way. I'll tell you who Paul isn't. And I see this a lot in Acts, in all of this. There's this fellow called Simon the Sorcerer. And what Simon did, he had a heart to help people, but he got it a bit wrong. You see, we're spirits that live in a body. And so we need to be discipled. It's, a, it's actually an important thing. It was Jesus' last command, go and make disciples. So we had this need to have a Paul. See how important it is. And yet what I see, see what Simon did in Acts, was he saw the apostles doing miracles. So he tried to copy them, but not in the power of God. He did it in his own strength. And When he saw them laying on hands and passing the Holy Spirit by the laying of hands, he's like, I'll pay you. I'll pay you to have that power. And they're going, no, buddy, it doesn't work that way. You know what I see? I see people today having that inherent desire to be discipled. So what they do is they go on Facebook or social media and they'll say, I've had a bad day. I need blank. And all these Simon the Sorcerers are popping up because the church isn't doing its job. These Simon the Sorcerers are popping up saying, I've done a three-week course on the internet in blank. I can be your life coach. And some of them are even charging money. What would it be if the church actually started discipling people and actually doing our job and actually challenging people? Pauls aren't easy. They'll teach the truth. They'll preach the truth. I have three Pauls. One of them, Graham's going to visit in two nights and Judy is... You've heard me say, she'll say to me, when I phone her up with a major meltdown moment, she'll say, well, batten down the hatches, it's going to get worse. I'm like, thank you very much. But you know what? My pals are who I need. The last six weeks, I've not been unemployed. I've been employed all my life since 1983. There's not one day I haven't been employed. This last six weeks of my life have been the worst ever vocationally for me I phoned out my boss on three different occasions trying to quit my Paul was there saying this is what you've got to do you've got to do this you've got to do this and it's not been what I wanted to hear I'll tell you that now I wanted to lash out I wanted to say some stuff but my Paul was like you pull it together I'm like okay because I needed that and then do you know what my Paul did it's not all harsh There was one day I was really, really low. Do you know what my Paul did? They said, I am driving to Mariborough and I'm going to spend the whole day at school with you and I'm not going to let you out of my eyes. That's what a Paul does. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Timothy, Paul met Timothy in Acts 16. Timothy had a godly grandmother, Lois, and a godly mother, um, Eunice, and they instilled faith. Timothy was young in the faith and young in age as well. Who are you meeting with on a once a month basis and saying, come, let me ask you the three challenges that we're going to talk about tonight. Who are you mentoring? Who are you seeing that they've got a tendency towards faith and you just want to nurture them? They might not have a, a Lois and a Eunice, but they've got a Graham and Amanda. They've got a Simon and a Trish. They got us. Who is your Timothy and who is your Paul church? There is no excuse. I would hope by tonight you would phone someone, text someone, message someone and say, do you want to be my Paul? Do you want to be my Timothy? We are an Acts 2 church. We should not leave all the discipleship to Charlene and Simon. It's not fair. We all have to do it. It's a call on all of us. The number one. So next slide. Thank you, Jack. Um, dirt number two, there's, there's a whole chunk, and I don't want to go into it today, but there's a whole chunk of 2 Timothy on bringing discipline to people who are unruly. And what the spirit, what the enemy does, I think, is the Holy Spirit will convict us, which will lead to repentance and a change of lifestyle. What the enemy's changed is his changed conviction to condemnation they're punishing me. Oh, so I feel, and then you'll feel guilt and you'll feel shame and you'll feel condemnation. And it's a lie from the enemy because he doesn't want us to get close to God. If we go to the next slide, thanks Jack. Um, in, in the Bible, it says God disciplines those he loves. If you're being disciplined, you're loved by God. Do you get that? I don't let my kids play in the fire because I love them. I discipline them. God says, if you love me, you'll reciprocate it. You'll obey. I shouldn't have to ask you a 100 times to obey me. Just, if you love me, you'll do it. Paul says to Timothy, he says, all scripture. Everyone say, all scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, and we've had lots of teaching, but have a look at what it's also useful. It's useful for rebuking. Stop, you're doing something really unhealthy. Correcting, let's go this way. Repent, turn around, correct. And training in godliness, let's go on a different path. That's what the Bible's used for. I'm going to play a little game with you. I'm going to make you be detectives. I'm going to share two stories of when I was a bad mama. And see if you can work out what those two, two stories have to do with God's loving us, God's disciplining us and all scripture being useful for training. The kids were little, we were on an outback trip and we had a massive four-wheel drive. We pulled over to have a cup of tea and Graham went to the caravan to have a cup of tea, it was winter, opened the doors of the four-wheel drive, I had a sleeping child in a car seat. She was peaceful. So I thought I'll just leave and then I walked away and I noticed that the restraint, her seatbelt, the very thing designed to keep her safe, was irritating her neck. She had a little red mark on her neck. I walked away and I thought, oh that looks like it's irritating her. The car's not going. What harm can it do? I'm, I know better than the manufacturers who designed this to keep my child in the car seat. I'm gonna loosen it just a little bit. What happened? was I went to, I did that, I went to go and have my cup of tea and honestly I don't know if there was more of her face in the gravel or more gravel in her face, but it was a lot of pain. Those restraints are designed to keep you safe. I'll come back to that, I'll circle. I'll circle back to that one in a minute. Story number two. She fell out of the car, sorry, she fell out. You guys got that, didn't you? You implied that. Sorry, Um, story number two, this one's embarrassing. So if you don't be careful, I'll name and shame who it is. But anyways, we were being billeted in this house. And who knows, when you have a toddler, if they're quiet for five minutes, you go looking. If they're quiet and out of sight for more than one minute, you go running. Well, we're in this lady's place. And everything went quiet and I'm looking around frantically. I couldn't see my kids. Now, my, I'll tell you what I think happened before we get to the end product, okay? What I think happened is my child went walking through their house and in bulldust country saw this shiny white bedspread, as you have in a master bedroom in bulldust country, and then went in to look at this pretty sparkling white bedspread and as they touched it, realised it's satin. What well, it could go wrong, right? Oh, and my children are very tactile, so they're starting to touch the satin bedspread. And then I imagine very quickly they decided if I sit on it, I can touch it some more. And very quickly, you know, mum and dad taught us to do sand angels on the beach. So if I rip off my, most of my clothes, I could just do sand angels on the bed. And my whole body can feel good. And then I imagined that she got bored and sat up and looked at the Duchess, and on the Duchess was a very expensive, I found out later, tub of blue eyeshadow. My children don't know what blue eyeshadow is, but they do know what finger paints are. <laughs> so you can imagine the mess that I came into. Do you know what? Toddlers need to be with mum and dad. Otherwise, they'll go after what looks good and what feels good. Using those two stories with conviction and condemnation, do you get it? See, there are rules. There's a culture in heaven, and it can seem restrictive. Why can't I sleep with my partner? Why can't I do this? Why can't I click on that? Why can't I watch this? And you know what? We can, we can say, it's irritating me, but it's for our safety, what about, like, you know, all these structures that Graham's putting in place? It's irritating. We're not even a big church. Why do I have to do all this paperwork? You know why? Because while our cars have stopped at the moment, we're going to go 100 miles an hour real soon. You're going to want to be strapped in. You're going to want to be strapped in real good. Yes, it's irritating. But a little red mark's better than gravel in the face. And what about, you know, we talked about it, Simon talked about it um, in the offering talk... Moses turned his back for a heartbeat and they had a golden calf. If you don't stay close to the father, you will go after things that look good and feel good and you'll end up in a costly mess. That's why we need a Paul because if you're meeting every week and you say, oh Paul, I've, I've let it down again. I've done this. I've slipped up. Paul will gently, gently instruct you Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? When you meet up with Paul and you say, I've I've fallen, I've let down. Scripture's useful for training in righteousness. Paul will say to you, you know what? I'll gently instruct you. Have a look at what he says to Timothy. I'll gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And perhaps God will change these people's hearts and they'll learn the truth. And then they'll come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. Because they've been held captive by him who... To do whatever he wants. Do you know what? If you're not, if you're out of control, you're actually doing what Satan wants. It says it right there. If you're not listening to gentle instruction, you're a tool of the enemy. You're a tool of the enemy. And the next one is, Tim, um, Paul tells Timothy to work hard, present yourself to God for his approval, a good worker, one who doesn't need to be ashamed. There's no shame with God, it's conviction. Don't fall for the enemy's line that you're being condemned, you're not, you're being convicted to rebuke, you're being taught, and then rebuke, uh oh, got to go this way, correction, let's go this way, and then we'll train you in godliness avoid worthless foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior and this kind of talk spreads like cancer we heard it last year we heard a really strong pastor last week saying as a church we will not let cancer spread at our church amen <laughs> amen so they're the two odd does so if we go to the next slide thanks jack Before we leave conviction and condemnation, Graham talked about Alexander the Coppersmith last week. He was a naughty boy. He was a really bad troublemaker in the church. Do you know you can be in a church and have a troublemaker? Don't be an Alexander. Don't be that person. Um, Had Alexander been convicted, it might have been different. But Paul says at the very end to Timothy... Just before he says, I'm in survival mode, give me my coat before I die. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful, for he has fought against everything we said. Do you know that people are going to fight against everything we say? But that's okay, because God will judge them. We've actually got a pastor who has this saying... And he says, The dogs bark while the train goes. And I was like, What? And he says, You know what? God's laid down tracks for our church. It's not us. He says, This is the tracks you're going to go in. The train is the church. You get on the train and you go down the tracks. Some, some people will be like barking dogs. They'll be like Alexander the, the coppersmith and could do you much harm and winch, 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 winch. But you know what? As the train goes, guess where the dogs are going to be? They'll be barking somewhere else back there but we're going where God wants us we're going out west next week we're going to conquer Australia we're going to bring revival to this nation for the glory of God so they're the two orders if we go to the next slide thanks Jack who is your Paul who is your Timothy I would encourage you uh, in the next month ask everyone Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Write it down. Get someone. I found a legal way for us to disciple minors. So if you've got someone that's on your heart who's under 18, the first of four safeguards is come and speak to Graham and me. Don't talk to the child. Don't talk to their parents yet. You come and speak to us first. I don't want anyone to miss out. This is so powerful. And the next slide, thanks, Jack, is... Is there a part of your life where you're feeling condemned? Are you believing a lie of the enemy? And should you be convicted? Should you say, oh, I've just got to turn and go this way? Reframe it. Reframe it. So once you've got your Paul-Timothy relationship, are you ready for the three challenges that Paul will ask Timothy? If we go to the next slide, there's three metaphors in the first part of the letter to Timothy. And the first metaphor is, be a good soldier. Now, if you have served online or in in our presence, thank you for your, your service, by the way. I've not been in the ADF at all, but I imagine they have a really good training program. I imagine they train you to fire at targets, they train you in camouflage, they train you in taking commands. Because how many people know we're a kingdom? We're not a democracy in heaven. It's a kingdom. And, and, and they train you in all this stuff. I think it would be really unusual for a soldier to go through all that training and then go to active ser- service in enemy territory and get to the front line and get all ready to shoot their bullets. And the minute the enemy fires at them, they go, hang on, wait a minute, no one told me I was going to get shot at. I want to go home. I'm sorry. See you later. But you know what? We do that as Christians, don't we? We say we know all this stuff. We know it all. But the minute someone says, hey, or the minute life gets tough, or the minute you get persecuted, it's like, oh, I've had enough. I'm going. See you later. We are told, and the next slide, thanks, Jack. We are told to be strong in, first of all, be strong in the grace. All through Timothy, Paul is saying, be strong in the grace, be strong in the power of God, be strong, be strong, be strong. We're going to need to be strong. And do you know what? Grace, we, learnt, we read it in our devotions this morning. It is the stuff like when Peter got reinstated. Yes, that's grace. But grace is a power. It's a power that works in us to, so that we can join with Paul in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus. That's not real fun. Do you know when Paul wrote this, he was alone in a place in an imprisonment in, in Rome and he said, the only comfort I have is Jesus. Have you ever been in a dark place where the only comfort you have is Jesus. You know what we do is we say, oh, you're not in the will of God. Well, Paul was, and he brought glory to God, and he says, join me in suffering. It's okay to be suffering. We've got to stop this cushy, cushy Christianity. We've got this test tube Christianity. I, I was at Greenslopes Hospital as a, a prac student many years ago. It's a DVA hospital, and there was an almighty commotion on the ward. And what had happened, and the nurses in the room or online might be able to (laughs) clarify this, but what had happened was the nursing students had been taught to give injections. But they hadn't been taught on real people because they'd been taught in a clinic. So they'd been taught to give injections into oranges. And so when a nurse was asked to give a diabetic patient his insulin, she thought and started to inject an orange with insulin and proceeded to squeeze it into a cup and then give it to the patient to drink. Now, that sounds ludicrous. It happened. But how much more silly is that as Christians? We read the Bible. We know the stories. We can do all. We've got it all up here. But when it comes to serving active service Monday to Saturday, we're shoving needles into oranges. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. Seriously, I, this ministered to me, um, you heard me say, I phoned my boss three times saying, I quit, I can't do it. There was this one time, um, and it was in our devotions this week, and it was the, when Jesus raised Lazarus to life. I want to share this with you because I'm ministering to me now. When you're in that dark place and you've only got Jesus, And you've got to join with suffering and you need to be strong in grace. Jesus was in that spot when Lazarus had died and he went and he had this deep anger. He had this deep sorrow in his tummy. And that's how I was feeling. But then you know what it says in the Bible? It says Jesus wept. And do you know what the translation for that is? It's a righteous snort. Like a horse rearing up on its back legs and flaring its nostrils. It's a righteous snort. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. He spoke life. And I was like, God said to me, in your situation, it's okay to have those big feelings in your darkness, but you've got to rise up with a righteous snort and speak life into your situation. I don't know if you're here tonight and you're doing it tough in a dark place. Maybe you need to have a Paul in your life and say, come on, let's get a righteous snort. Let's speak life. Because the, the minute you start speaking life, the enemy has to flee. If we go to the next slide, thanks, Jack. So my question um, that a Paul would ask of a Timothy, what are the battles, what are the dark places in your world that you need to reframe? See, what, what do you need to reframe and say, instead of saying, oh, it's so bad, I'm so scared, I'm walking away and chucking a tanty. It's too hard, I quit. Speaking to myself here. Where do you need to get that righteous snort and start speaking life into that situation? And Paul's will ask Timothy's that. And it says, oh, here's a good promise for you. Give me all the good chapters. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Put that one on your fridge. That's why we need God's grace. We're overcomers. we can do it. The next one, thanks, Jack. The next metaphor, so the first metaphor is a soldier. The next one's an athlete. And we, we, we all know the stuff about putting food into your body and we, we know all of that. But there's something I wanted to say and, and Jess kind of touched on it in um, communion as well in that I was at school talking with a teacher and this little person had come back from zones or whatever the, think the competition was and the teacher said to him... What did you throw? Now, my response as someone who's not an athlete would be, I threw a discus. He said, I did a PB and I threw this. And he told the meters. See, an an athlete will always try to get better and better and better. Better at doing what? Better at staying close to Jesus. Do you know what I mean? What are you doing to get your personal best at worship, at the Word and at prayer? Because that's what a Paul will ask a Timothy. What, what, what's your goal? How are you getting closer to Jesus so you're not like that child of mine that ran away and got in a mess because they were running after stuff that looked good and felt good? What are you, if we go to the next slide, thanks, Jack. We are running for a crown. We are running for a crown. It's not just a participation. It's not just to get through. We have got to win. And to do that, we have to compete according to the rules. There's another element to this that I want to bring out. And if we go to the next slide, there was this fella in the olden days when I was a kid called Robert D. Costello. Now, the source of this story was out of his mouth at a Chappie conference. I have since searched the internet because I use this story all the time at school. I've scoured the internet. You will not find this story online. So you will just have to take my word that this is a true story because I heard it from Deeks himself. In 1982, Commonwealth Games were in Brisbane. Short story, that was him winning gold. If we go to the next slide, his game plan, thank you, Jack, was that... There were two Tanzanians and what he would do is he'd run up and he'd overtake one and then at the very end he'd overtake the other. Easy, right? He did that. He won gold. The end of the story. The whole of Australia cheered. We were all watching. If you are alive back then, you were probably with me watching. What you don't know is this. Deke said, he got up that morning. How many people know... An athlete, if you want to get personal best, you've got to get training. You know, the first thing, since I found out you can get a streak on the Bible app, the first thing I've done since I've done that is I've changed from the paper Bible to that streak. And my, my phone will tell you the first thing I've opened on my phone apart from the clock in the last 527 days is the Bible because that's my training, that's my... PB I want to I want to go and go and go until now that I know I want to keep setting goals he got up at a certain time he ate the breakfast that he was supposed to eat so he could just make it all you know digest and he's running and he feels a bit windy he feels a bit gassy and he starts letting off a bit of gas and who knows that might have just projected him a bit faster I don't know but it got worse, and he started feeling grumblings in the tummy, and he overtook the first Tanzanian, and he established a pretty good lead after that. Have you ever sat on the toilet and let out a bit of wind and there's been follow through? Have you seen the size of his pants? They ain't big. He was running between these two Tanzanians, and he let out a bit of a wind and there was a follow through down his legs. In that moment, what do you do? Do you cower? Knowing that you have trained and you put all these hours of training in for this moment, what do you do? Do you pull away? You know what he did? This is hilarious. You know the drink stations? Instead of drinking, he washes his legs and keeps running and did that a few times and overtook the Tanzanian and won. He went to the toilet later and found out he hadn't actually pooed himself. It was just like sweat or something like that. It was all good, he was all fine. Do you know the hilarious thing in that story, before I come back to my point, is you know how coaches look at the performances of other athletes? All these international coaches were looking at Dick's performance and you know what they said? They said, he's cooling down his hammies. That, that's what it is. So, so for years after, all these coaches are telling their athletes to, to put water on their legs because it's cooling down their hammies and that's what gets you to the end. And Dick said he actually had to speak at a, um, something and he said, hey guys, it wasn't actually that. it was." So he had to fess up. But you know what, sometimes we can get embarrassed Sometimes we can feel disqualified. Sometimes we can feel not bold and not courageous. And I always say to kids at school, is it as bad as poo running down your legs on national TV? If not, wash it off and keep going. And a Paul will say that to a Timothy. There is nothing that disqualifies you. Wash it off, keep going, and someone else will cool down their (laughs) hammies. So if we go to the next slide, thanks Jack. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. <laughs> Again, what is it with the join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God? God will power us, God will get us that gold. But we gotta not be afraid. So the next slide, thanks, Jack, is the questions that a Paul will ask a Timothy: Is how can you? Inf- what's what's your PB with worship, word, and prayer? How can you improve your relationship with Jesus so you're not chasing things? And when you do fall, how do you wash off your hammies? Um, and there, there'll be a cost. And you know the reason a Paul will do this to a Timothy is to fan into flames. God's given you this gift. Deeks was a great marathon runner. If he didn't have a coach in his ear saying, run, 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 he would have given up and not got gold. Get yourself a coach, get yourself a Paul. And and it says, fan into flame the the gift of God which is in you through the laying of hands. For the spirit of God gave us, the spirit God gave us did not make us timid, but gave us power, love and self-discipline. If you've got God's spirit, you've got power, you've got love and you've got self-discipline and ain't nothing going to hold us back. And the final one, thanks Jack, is the final metaphor is that of a farmer. And I'm jealous that Graham's going out to you guys um, because what I know about farmers is they know their block of dirt. They know their seasons. They know what works on their land. They know what doesn't. Joseph Um, is Brittany's age, who Graham's, the guys are meeting with Carl and Judy. Last time we were at their place, Joe gets us in his ute. He knows every cow in every paddock. He knows where the water is, where it isn't. He knows which cows are pregnant and how pregnant they are, and don't ask me how he knows that. But you know what, these guys immerse themselves in research, they ask each other, they talk to God, they do research on the internet. They've been to cattle ranches overseas. They, they don't care about anything other than their block of dirt. I'm going to dob on Joe, in fact, all of his brothers. When they were little kids, that we were doing a mission in Mara, and the theme was fishing because it was Peter, the fisherman. And I gave all the kids collage material to make a collage I said, make fish. You've got to have these materials, make a fish. Do you know what the Baines boys did? They made cattle, because that's all they knew was cattle. And that's okay, because now they farm cattle and they're great at it. But they're running in their lane, doing their thing. If I said to Joseph, what do you think about Eshes or the transgender movement in Marlborough with kids? He'd be like, I don't care. That's why you're in the school. Don't talk to me about that. I'm worried about my block of dirt. What's your block of dirt? What's your ministry? If we go to the next slide, thanks Jack. Paul um, is, is likening the, um, to a hardworking farmer. Farmers are hard workers and they should be the first to receive the, the share of the crops. When you put it in, you'll receive it. Do you know what? Um, uh, James in his talk said he was a tradie. We had two dads on the camp I've just come from, they're tradies, I can't talk to them. Like I can be social, but I'm not a tradie, I, I don't talk tradie language. You know the kids that are, I've been given in my school? I can get a righteous snort over them, I can pray over them, I can speak life into them, I can research them, I can be invested in them. What is your farm? What is your block of dirt? If we go to the next slide, thanks. If you're a Paul, you'll, um, oh, sorry, you've got to guard it. You've got to guard what God's trusted you. When you know what it is, you've got to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's what a Paul will say. You know what? I'm guarding my school. I've now got my righteous snort and no attack of the enemy is going to come on any child or any staff member on my watch. The end. Because I'm speaking life. What have you got to guard? Who's your Paul? Who's saying to you, "Come on, guard what? Guard the trust." And again, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing that we need a lot of help in this chapter, this book. Sorry. And finally, the next slide, thanks, Jack, is what a Paul will ask you, and why I've got these. Go back over the. Um, the, the night tonight, write these questions down because this is what a Paul will ask a Timothy. It's not that hard. Once a month, get with someone. What's your field of ministry? Some Timothys might not even know and you might need to go on a journey with them to help them understand that. What are the seasons? What season are you in? Are you in a, a good, like good healthy season or have you just planted? Are we ready to harvest? Where, where, where are you at? Um, and what can I do to farm more sustainably? What can I do to look after me and what God's given me? So the, the next slide, thanks, Jack. Um, and I'd invite the band to come up. I've got some questions. I want this to be really practical. I think sometimes we are, um, we are educated beyond our obedience. Are you ready to, to get obedient with me? Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? If you don't have one, find one by the end of tonight. Find one by the end of this month. We will help you. Come to us. Ask us. We will help you. If you're a Paul or even if you're a Timothy, get some of those questions down. Meet once a month. Ask this. If you're interested in discipling someone who's under 18, it starts with Graham and me. The end with that one. And on the other order, are you being convicted about something and you've, you've changed it to condemnation? Get over yourself. The spirit, we taught to rebuke, stop, correct, go this way, and training in righteousness. I never let my kids say, I'm sorry, because that's just empty words. They had to say, I'm sorry, and I will change by doing this. They could not come to me unless they told me how they were going to change because that's repentance. That's, that's godliness. The next one, thanks Jack. The questions that Paul will ask of Timothy. First of all, enduring hardship like a soldier, what battles am I facing? Am I in a dark, lonely place with only Jesus? Do I need to change my thinking about that and endure hardship like a soldier with the grace of God? Challenge number two, next slide, thanks, Jack, is the athlete one. How's your relationship with Jesus, with the Father? Are you close? Because if you're not, you're like a toddler who can go off out chasing things. What steps are you taking? What's your, how are you getting your personal best in worship, the word, and prayer? And how are you going to achieve this? And finally, number three, next slide, thanks, Jack. Yep. What's your mission field? What season are you in, and how can I ensure my ministry is sustainable? Who do I need to listen to? You know, as a chaplain, I have a professional supervisor, and in this, I couldn't get in to see her until next month. So I've had to do this last six weeks with my Paul, because I need the lady I normally listen to, who's advanced, far more advanced than me, is not available. This is why Pauls are so important. I don't mean it to be a a tough thing, but this is our bread and butter. We're called to make disciples. We're called to do it. And it's not just Charlene and Simon that's to be doing it. It's all of us. Would you stand? Father God, I want to thank you for your word. Lord God, I thank you that we're spirits that live in a body that need to be discipled. Would you help us? Would you help us right now to race out and grab someone and say, Will you be my Paul? Will you be my Timothy? Would you help us to ask the tough questions so that when we fall, and we will fall, we'll just love each other back, we'll just wash the poop off our legs and keep going. But help us to to train, to train and to to um take correction. Help us to get a righteous snort over those dark places in our world and by your Spirit speak life into those situations. So you ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't ever not want to open the altar. That's cool. You can come forward. We've got a prayer team that prays. But you know, I would much prefer you to go and grab someone in this song and say, Would you be my Paul? Would you be my, text someone, message someone? Don't let this moment go. Maybe in this moment you need to get a righteous snort. Maybe in this moment you've got to say, you know what, Lord? How can I work on my personal best at being better in connecting with you? Use this moment as a really special moment between you and God.